After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome to Mind Rolling, and I'm Raghu Marcus. I'm David Silver, glad to be with you again. And this is a, a very special podcast. David and I have been talking about all the podcasts. I mean, we're just a year into it, Dave. I mean, maybe a little more than a year. So this is, uh, and this will be our Christmas holiday podcast, and uh, and it's with Jack Cornfield. And I was in Maui. Last week or a week and a half ago, we had a wonderful retreat with Ramdas and Krishna Das, and Jack was a featured teacher. Uh, and uh, he, uh, there's, there's, I can't use too many superlatives to just uh, describe how how great the transmission was. And he was there with his partner Trudy Goodman, and they both come from the Insight Meditation tradition. And Jack and Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein brought this back from the East in the 70s, and they are the primary um, um, deliverers. <laughs> I couldn't think of the right word, but they deliver yes. the uh, this meditation. They've been doing it for decades now, and they have introduced this to so many people, and uh, uh, they are uh, they are all been very close to us, to the to our. Uh, satsang, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about that a l- in a little bit. But uh, before I do that, I just want to mention this is the uh, Christmas season, and we're a little late in suggesting such a thing. But for those of you who are late getting gifts for people like I am, Amazon, I think, has you know plenty of overnight service here. Uh, this podcast will get to you, you know, uh, at least five days before, six days before Christmas. And you'll be able to order. If, uh, and I uh, would love, and so would David, we would love you to go to our uh, mindrollingpodcast.com to our Amazon uh, link, which is right in the menu. And and if, when you do that, and if you bookmark it, it'd be even better so that whenever you buy anything at Amazon, we get a tiny little piece, but it all adds up into some wonderful support for us. Uh, otherwise, of course, we have great items, uh, T-shirts, and we should have said something about this weeks ago, and mugs and mind-rolling stuff that uh, we could have uh, had you all, uh, you, you know, get some of this, some of the our uh, store goods for Christmas. But uh, again, it's a little late, but never too late to get a mind-rolling T-shirt. And uh, so do go through uh, our Amazon portal if you can, and that would really help support us. And uh, David has some other advice on how you can yeah. support us. 
Yeah, well, Audible.com is uh, also part of Amazon, but is an amazing company. Uh, I used it before any of this. Uh, free trial for a month if you want. If you don't want to go on with it, stop. But most people like me went on with it because you get the best audiobooks read by the best people. And our great guest, our honored guest, Jack Cornfield, Cornfield has got uh, many books, 17 books on Audible. There are even more books on Amazon. But on Audible, uh, you know, there are books of his, his best books are on there. They're all great. After the Ecstasy, The Laundry, The Wise Heart, uh, Meditation for Beginners, which is good for dunderheads like me, A Lamp in the Darkness, Bringing Home the Dharma, Heart of Wisdom, Living Dharma, The Art of Forgiveness, many others, uh, reproduced perfectly with great recordings. Uh, it's a great thing to go to Audible. Amazon, as you know, has everything. Uh, for instance, I just bought an oven cooker spark machine. In other words, my oven is 100 years old and has almost gassed me many times. <laughs> I went to many hardware stores where I live just to support local play. None of them had a spark, a spark thing, you know, a little gun that sparks. None of them. They don't carry them anymore. Went to Amazon immediately. Six bucks. There you go. It's already here. Um, you can buy anything on Amazon, and it really helps us. So go to the Amazon. As Raghu says, at the top of our web, website, there's an Amazon portal on our, um, you know, on the on the top of the menu, and you can bookmark it and then buy anything. I know this is begging. It's like those boring dudes on PBS who drive you crazy, but they do it because the government doesn't support them. They, you know, nobody supports them except you, and that's why you can see Downton Abbey. And here you're getting not Downton Abbey. You're getting <laughs> you're getting better stuff. Not just you know ridiculous 19th century soap operas. You're getting Jack Cornfield and Ram Dass and Dennis McKenna's coming up soon and some real stars of the world that we live in. So please support us because we need supporting. We're not billionaires. I mean, Raghu's richer than me, but not much. <laughs> not much. And, you know, um, no, we, we need it because, it, 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 you know, we need support to make this happen. So please, 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 for Christmas and Kwanzaa and Hanukkah and the Eid, if you're a, a Muslim, whatever it is, and for people with birthdays in January, and just to please your wife, your son, your daughter, your mistress, buy from Amazon. Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. Do it. I've been told to do this. So I'm going nuts doing it. Um, I just want to say one thing, though. About, you must uh, have had about six cups of coffee before you did yeah, this. Yeah, I, 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 well, ginger tea. Ginger tea. Oh, ginger but anyway, tea. Yeah, you know, because I got a cold. I want to say one thing. I wasn't in Maui for this uh, interview that we're about to do with Jack Cornfield. So uh, I was able to listen to it as a podcast, just like you do, as you're listening now. I had no involvement in it at all because I wasn't there. And i got to tell you, and I don't want to sound self-congratulatory because I wasn't there, but it is just great. You're about to listen to a man who is so clear, so down-to-earth, so funny, and so damned helpful. When, I'm listening, when I was listening to this podcast, when, when Raghu sent it to me, uh, there were many occasions during the podcast when I just felt really grateful that I was able to hear this man talk because, um, of course, Sharon and Joseph, his compadres at, at, at Inside Meditation, are, are the same. They do the same. And Goldstein has got a new book out called Mindfulness, which is equally clear. Buddhism is so clear when it's articulated by people who really, you know, talk about it in the way. Jack Cornfield said one time, uh, I, I, I can't quote it exactly, but he said something about many of us teachers uh, you know, we teach, but in between teaching, we're neurotic, we're crazy, we're angry, we're jealous, we're envious. We're all the things that human beings are too. And one of the things that Jack does 
to me at any rate, is he makes us normal human beings, or <laughs> I, I, I don't speak for myself on that, but shall <laughs> we say people who are not His Holiness the Dalai Lama, um, which is, you know, 7.4 billion people. He makes us happy because not by telling us bromides, but by being honest about what it's like to really, you know, um, be able to to follow a path of, of, of loving kindness, clarity, and self-awareness, self-inquiry. Uh, and the way Raghu and, and our great friend Duncan Trussell, uh, uh, you know, did the interview really impressed me because I was moved as if I had nothing to do with this podcast. So I just want to say that, mm. uh, you know, uh, don't you agree, Raghu, how clear he is? Yeah, well, I'll tell you even further than that. I mean, at some point, I mean, I... You can, as you can hear, folks. David's a, a little bit uh, hoarse because he's got a cold, but he he just uh, popped out of his sick bed to do this for us. Uh, and I had the same. I didn't give this to you because I haven't seen you. Although you're telling me that I gave it to you through the phone, but I, I doubt that that happened. Uh, but I had the same <laughs> same thing in in Maui of all places. I got the same damn thing. And uh, so by the time we did the podcast, thank God Duncan was there because he really you know, it took it over. I could barely speak as you'll hear in this thing. I, you know, I was hoarse. So, uh, but at some point, um, I just have to say that I got so filled with, um, a sartorical thing happened to me. Uh, Jack just, I don't know. He just got into a flow at a certain point. It was like towards the end of the podcast, and I've mentioned to this this to you, Dave, mm. where he just talked about you know you just have to bow down to everything. You have to bow down to every crazy thought, every desire, every attachment, every every little piece of anger that comes up. And you have to bow down to the beauty that's in your life. You have to bow down to the relationships that you have, you have to, that are beautiful. You have to bow down to your to your dog that's good to you. I mean, just every every particle of your of your life, you just bow down to it. I mean, and there was something. It just absolutely hit me. You know how sometimes you hear something, and it just hit me. And at that point, I said, and and you'll hear it in the podcast. I said, wow, that's just like namaste everything. You got to namaste everything. Honor, you know, the light that's with, within you and within everybody. You just honor that. And, and then we all did this namaste. And, you know, it was like a crescendo of namastes that, you know, the podcast kind of ended with. And it was just so, so um, simple and absolutely transparent that if we just allow this to happen, where we just, you know, stop fighting everything off. So uh, it was just tremendous. And, and the other thing I wanted to mention, and it's something that you and I have discussed uh, previously, because we do talk to uh, various uh, Buddhist teachers, and, um, and, and many of them, or some of them, are certainly uh, very close to our family, which, you know, comes from the bhakti tradition. Uh, and that's where we, you know, our whole tradition coming through uh, Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba all the way to Sai Baba, to Shirdi Sai Baba. Sai Baba. So uh, what struck me in this retreat, and you can hear it through this, uh, through Jack's, uh, through this podcast with Jack, 
is how this Buddhist wisdom and this uh, tradition of heart and devotion to uh, to opening that uh, unconditional love inside ourselves through through bhakti yoga how they seem so disparate and um, and and you know there there's a way in which you know in the earlier days when we first came back from India um, we were uh, Ramdas in particular was made fun of. He was made fun of by Trumpa Rinpoche, who is a great master. And you know, I'm not. Uh, there's there's not any kind of uh, a negative referential here uh, to Trumpa. But there was a way in which some of his students would would uh, refer to us as the light and lovers. You know that we were um, missing a point. And it's interesting because. Through the years and our work with uh, and and many of us uh, in this tradition in the bhakti tradition have absolutely uh, combined the Buddhist uh, teachings with what we do and Maharaji led us to that uh, he he uh, there was um, actually you haven't seen this Dave because you weren't there and I haven't even mentioned it but we had uh, one of the sessions we had was a panel and I introduced. Uh, uh, the uh, just found some stuff in my diaries from back then, and it was Maharaji pointing to uh, a uh, a uh, verse from Mahamudra about emptiness. Right after earlier in the day, he had pointed out a thing from the New Testament about my grace is sufficient for you from from Christ. And there's a way in which these two things come together for us that is absolutely crystalline beauty. And Jack uh, so exemplifies this. By the end of this retreat, I mean, there he there was absolutely no um, there was no space between these traditions. We were absolutely in one contiguous flow. Uh, between uh, the Buddhist wisdom and the bhakti heart. And I think that is such a key, um, you know, teaching combination. And I'm glad, I'm really super happy that we've been part of it through what we've been doing through Ramdas and Ramdas.org. So not to go on any more about it, you'll, you, I think you'll catch it when you listen to the podcast. But it yeah. is a wonderful thing, Dave. Yeah, it is. I mean, but for those of you who actually go to our website, uh, I'm about to... Uh, post uh, a thing I wrote it took me a week to write it it's called uh, I think it's called Winning Within and uh, it's a, an essay that I wrote about um, going within and how that uh, is something that goes to all traditions and I particularly point out uh, the connections between bhakti and Buddhist thought really? and, and vision about going within I also talk about Christian mysticism and Sufi and so forth but one of the things I was thinking about all the time was how incredibly lucky we are to have these rich traditions to immerse ourselves in. And it makes it more interesting. My life is more interesting when you, you have different, you know, aspects, like a diamond, you know, with entirely different forms of articulation, but they come down in many ways to the same thing. That's not to say that it's all simple one thing and to make it boring and everything. That's not true. One of the great things is that, you know, when... when um, 
a great uh, guru or siddha uh, affects people. Uh, I mentioned, you know, Ramana Maharshi affects me by a glance, just a glance from a photograph of his, whereas Sri Nisargidatta, the great Advaitic teacher, affects me by 30 pages of really, really dense interviews. And then I listened to uh, Sharon Salzberg and her stories about traveling the country teaching and her incredible, lucid, uh, and yet funny and, and understandable and humane and human ways of looking at all of this. It, it, it bangs it together. But it's so we're so lucky to have all this great stuff at our at our hands, you know, to and, and to be able to read it and listen to it and be and you know, Jack Cornfield says Cornfield says in this in this interview with Rago and Duncan that you don't have to go to India. He makes that point very early on. You don't have to go anywhere. Uh, you just have to get involved and get interested and let your let your heart open a little bit and your mind open a little bit. And you know, we get letters from people all the time. Uh, which are very lovely and, and sometimes have little critiques of things we do. It's not all, you know, it's not psychophantic or anything. But one of the things I've learned from the emails is that people get a huge amount out of these teachers. And, you know, we, we push the teachers through uh, in as unpretentious a way as we can uh, because most people are not that, you know, me included. You know, we don't want to be lectured to except by great teachers, but even by great teachers. We like to know. We like to think, as Cornfield says, uh, you know, we're neurotics too. We're Westerners. We're we're brought up in this modern, fast, you know, things whereby we fly to distant lands in hours. We transcend cultures and and millennia in hours. We we pick up books from Audible and listen to stuff that comes from the 12th century by King Say Rinpoche and so forth. We can just pick it up all immediately. You know, we can. That's great, but uh, we have to acknowledge that we come from a culture where the family has been disintegrated, you know, where uh, upward mobility and, and trains and planes and everything have made it so that people are not that close together, families and friends. So we have a lot to fight with. I'm not complaining, but the fact of the matter is uh, we don't live in a culture anymore where kindness is part of the early teachings at school and at home. We know how to do trigonometry. We know how to think about algorithms. Uh, we know the history of Bulgaria. But do we know how to be sweet? Do we know how to love each other? And that's where Jack comes in. Because he's a very straightforward dude. I've never met him and I can't wait to meet him. But I feel like I know him. Because when you listen to this podcast, uh, you know, out of the three of them, Raghu and Duncan and, and Jack, you don't have a pretentious molecule in there. And that's what got me. As I said, I was listening to this podcast, just like you're listening to this one. And it's my favorite. Hmm. We've done 50, 50 of these things now. It's the 50th. Hmm. Uh, we've, actually, we've actually done a few more. We've done 53, I think, but we're a bit you know, ahead of the game. And this one really moved me because of the humor and the, the real honesty that's going on in this conversation, Raghu. I mean, it, it, there's no hint of a didactic distance, the DD, the, the, the dreaded DD, you know, <laughs> that distance, which makes you feel like there's someone up there who knows more than you and you're never going to know it. Right. You know, right. I hate that. We all hate that because mm. it feels like, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm doomed. You know, I'm always going to be neurotic. And there's the guy on the, on the, uh, the podium who's not neurotic. 
And Jack just explodes that, mm. you know. And Duncan does that for a living. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So yeah. anyway, I have uh, I, I have a, but I feel really bad right now. Why? Because I don't know one thing about Bulgaria. You said that you know we know everything about Bulgaria. I don't know one thing about Bulgaria, so I don't know I don't know what to do with myself right now. I well, mean, I'm going to have to go out to the library and, uh, you know, <laughs> well, is there the such a thing anymore, libraries? But um, No, the word Bulgaria just jumped out of my mind. I know very little except I've been riots. Yeah, what do you know? Oh, that's Well, true. I only know because of mind rolling, because one of our great fans, Dimitri, is from Bulgaria. Oh. And has been involved in the street, the street demonstrations oh, really? because the students have been treated very badly in Bulgaria and, and it's a very strange post-communist country with some very bad inequities and young people are suffering and all kinds of people are suffering and Dimitri loves mind rolling and has been communicating heavily with us about how he gets a lot out of this uh, because of the fights they're having in the streets with the riot police um, and, and so Bulgaria is a place just like anywhere else where people want to live and they want to mm -hmm. love and they want to be, you know, they want to be human beings. But the, the, the governmental system there is, is very difficult, as it is in the Ukraine. So, you know, I, I pay too much attention. I just want to say one thing. I decided not to watch any news for at least a month. And I'm three weeks into this uh, because I, I'm, you know, a news addict and get too involved in that and get angry. I don't want to. But this morning, uh, you know, I, I switched on, on CNN or something for a minute. And I just want to send a shout out to a guy called Greg Stanton. Greg Stanton is the mayor of Phoenix, Arizona. Hmm. And just to prove that there's great kindness, there's great, great loving kindness in all everyone. Mr. Stanton, who uh, has been mayor for a couple of years, uh, was on because he's the first mayor in America to have taken on the homelessness of, of U.S. vets. And by bringing the business community together and all and the schools and universities and people and everything, he announced yesterday that he'd uh, uh, managed to deal with the last homeless vet in Phoenix, which is a considerably large city. There are no longer any homeless vets in Phoenix. Wow. They've all been taken care of because of Mr. Stanton's concentration and focus on this for the last two years. And they, they're happy to announce that every one of them are in decent shelters or in homes and being fed and being treated correctly. This goes back to Vietnam, right through to Afghanistan, where a lot of men and women, uh, uh, you know, are in terrible condition. And this is disgraceful, uh, obviously. We put them in harm's way and then we put them in further harm's way. Mm. Well, Mayor Stanton has achieved his aim, which we never think of with politicians. They talk, they rap, they lie. Mm whatever. This guy, uh, who happens to be a Democrat, but he got everybody together, Republicans, Democrats, and he was very proud to announce on CNN that, uh, and he didn't do it in a, uh, you know, in a kind of pontificating way. He just said, we're very happy that there are no more vets on the streets of Phoenix uh, that we can't deal with. We've, we've conquered it. Isn't that just incredible? Mm. So that proves that loving kindness comes from politicians as well as it does. No, it's, it, it's, it's absolutely inside every one of us, and and that uh, and you'll, and certainly uh, Jack references that, uh, you know, and uh, in in this podcast, and now people are probably going, okay, uh, that's enough for you guys. You're going to play something, play it. So uh, again, um, please do wh wherever you can to do what you can to support us through just directly donate or through Amazon, through Audible, through buying a T-shirt from us. Um, I guess we are, uh, we've been told that we're not 
pushing enough, uh, you know, to get a little bit more support. And that support really means something to us uh, on multiple fronts. So uh, we appreciate you. And uh, David, Merry Christmas. Yeah, thank you. And all of you out there, we have two words for you. AA, Amazon, Audible, Actualize It, AAA. I thought two words. You Let's can we say forget that shit. We just say Merry Christmas to everybody and and send some love out there. Enough. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yes. Well, uh, and go to mindrollingpodcast.com and uh, David has a. Uh, I'm anxious to read it. I haven't read it, but it's a new blog that'll be up there. And David cuts up some of uh, the episodes to give you little two three minute pieces, which uh, are are really a nice hit during the day. And we always have some stuff up in extras. Uh, in this case, we'll we'll have uh, Jack's latest book up there as well. So uh, see you next time. And here on Mind Rolling Podcast is Jack Cornfield. Hi, this is Raghu Marcus with my buddy Duncan Trussell. And we're, we're at the Open Your Heart in Paradise Retreat in Maui and... <clears throat> Boy, oh boy, we're looking out at the ocean, and we just invited Jack Cornfield, who's one of the teachers from the retreat, alongside of Ram Das and Krishna Das, and and uh, and Jack has his partner Trudy Goodman here. So uh, we are we're in pretty good shape, Duncan. Yeah, this is amazing. And uh, Jack has been has one of the three people. Jack is a very old friend. We met in India back in the day, and Jack is one of three people who are instrumental in bringing insight meditation back to the United States. And they started uh, a center in Barry, Massachusetts, Insight Meditation Center. And then you went off to California. And in California, Jack runs Spirit Rock and is part of Spirit Rock, an incredible uh, center uh, on the west. So we, we you have it covered on the east and the west side. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and Jack has many, many... What's the latest book uh, that I know uh, we've had up on Ramdas? Bringing Home the Dharma or The Wise Heart. All those are good. So, And you can get these on Amazon, and you can go through whatever portal from Ramdas to Duncan Trussell Family Hour. So many portals to choose from. Yes. You so. can just swim right through, <laughs> find the great, vast openness with fish swimming and good Dharma for you. Yes. Yes, exactly. Now, so at this retreat, uh, we've been, uh, the theme of the retreat has been suffering and grace, and how to work with suffering, how to see grace in our lives, how to uh, open our hearts and make friends with, you know, the untoward that happens every day. So, can, uh, Jack has been giving incredible talks with Trudy Goodman uh, every morning, we're, you know, we're just halfway into it. Just tell me a little bit in, uh, in, in, a, in its most nuts and bolts way, how do we deal with just the day-to-day uh, separation is suffering, untoward things that happen, is, happen to us is suffering. How do we make friends with suffering? Well, you just said it. You said, how do we make friends with uh-huh. suffering? Because the fact is that Life is human incarnation, this mysterious life that you find yourself in. You didn't even ask for it, and then here you find yourself in this human 
body with the wiggly things at the end, the little patches of fur and a vestigial tail, if you notice, you know, and little bits of claws that are left and, and a hole at one end into which you stuff dead plants and animals and grind them up and glug yeah. them down through the tube. And you ambulate in this human body by falling one direction and catching yourself. And you fall the next direction, you catch yourself. It's really bizarre. All right, so here you are, and you say, all right, what are the rules of the game? And part of what the rules of the game are is that human incarnation includes joy and sorrow, praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, um, beginnings and endings, birth and death, sweet and sour. And you can't tease them apart. They actually come as a package. You know, if you take the ticket for the human ride, this is what you get. Hmm. Then people think, well, I'm doing it wrong because somebody got sick or somebody died or, um, you know, there was some loss, even though there's also insanely beautiful days and great blessings. And then you realize there's an unbearable beauty, an ocean of tears, and they make up human life. Then the question is not so much, what do you do with suffering? Suffering's the first noble truth of the Buddha. It's just included in the dance of humanity. And with that understanding, you can meet the suffering with a compassionate and open heart that says, oh yes, this is, this is what humanity is like. And instead of being afraid or judging yourself and saying, I've done it wrong, which we do very well, yes. you instead you say, ah, oh, here we are. And you take in yourself, you take your seat or you stand like the Buddha, looking out with a gaze of infinite compassion and say, this is human life. Let me live it in a way that brings sweetness and beauty to the world. When you say looking at something with a gaze of infinite compassion, mm -hmm. you make it sound really easy. Yeah. When I'm looking at myself, <clears throat> when I came to this retreat, mm -hmm. right before I came to this retreat, I got in a vicious text fight with my ex-girl. I broke up with my ex-girlfriend over this retreat. And I was angry. And in the text... She's pointed out it's pretty hilarious that we're fighting over a retreat. And then I thought about it and I thought, well, that's a, the reason I'm going to a retreat is because I'm getting into these text fights with, with you. That's the, not because of you, but because that's where I'm at. So when you say, look through these eyes of compassion, I think of like when I'm mindful and I see that anger or, or the fear body, as you were calling it, it is not that easy to love that thing. In fact, I don't. I can look at it and say to it, I wish I could love you, but you seem like someone I wouldn't want to hang out with. And I'm you. You're stuck, aren't you? Yes. I feel for you. Oh, thanks. But the truth is that we all have a personality. You get issued a body, this kind of human form, which is already pretty wild, and you get issued a personality. And people think, well, if I do therapy or I do it right, or I, you know, then my personality will change and I'll be... Buddha personality, I'll be, you know, some, I'll be Dalai Lama personality. But it's more like this, if you can love whoever of your family and friends come through the door, if you can see your neighbors travel to fantastic places without a twinge of jealousy, if you can sleep after a day of running around without a drink or a pill, if you can eat everything that's put on your plate, if you can find contentment just where you are, you are probably a dog. <laughs> we have all these spiritual ideals, and the very first step 
in meditation or in becoming conscious is to take a step back and make a bow and say, oh, wow, look at this package of neurosis and love and fear and confusion. The mind contains everything. Mm. And if you think it shouldn't contain that, that's just judgment. And then the judging mind comes and you can bow to it and say, oh, thank you for your judgment. You say, I hate judging. And you bow and they say, oh, hating too. Mm. And I wish I could get better. Wishing, wishing. And the place of the awakened heart is, it can, is the place in you that can take a breath and bow and say, oh, look at this, the, the, the tears, the, the text from your ex, and then the rage that comes and the fact that the mind has no pride. And not only that, it writes, it will sit there in meditation <laughs> and it will choreograph a text, a killer, an assassin text yes. that she's going to get and she'll be both devastated and completely in love with you yes. at the same time, right? <laughs> yes. That's how grandiose you are. And then you say, man, what a magnificent anger that is. What a magnificent <sighs> fantasy. And you laugh and you take a bow and you say, here we are, we're being human. Anybody who's listening to this who hasn't had trouble with their ex hasn't had an ex. Right. <laughs> right. Anybody who hasn't had trouble with their personality hasn't had a person hasn't looked at their personality. It's just the way it is. Right. And when you understand there's a kind of deep softening of the heart that says, Yeah, we're in this together. Mm -hmm. It's not about becoming an ideal. It's actually uh, the point isn't to perfect yourself. It's to perfect your love. Uh. Now, the question you ask is, well, how do you do that when you're trying to love somebody as neurotic as we Americans and Canadians and Europeans, and now it turns out all the new, you know, wealthy Indians and Chinese, yes. uh, modern people, little machine, crazy. How do you do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah? So... How? How, 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 how? Well, the first step... Oh. You know, we teach loving-kindness meditation, and I'm not going to... Maybe I'll teach it here if you want. Um, but it turns out that people can't love themselves very well in the West. We had this conversation with the Dalai Lama, like 1988 or something. A group of us met with him who are also teachers and said what to do about how much self-hatred and unworthiness and self-judgment comes to people when they just try to sit and innocently sit and meditate. And he said, self-hatred? He didn't understand. He speaks pretty good English, and he turned to Tupton Jimba, his translator, and they went back and forth, in Tibetan, you know, for a while. Because uh, there's no word in Tibetan for self-hatred. And then he looked up at this circle of us, you know, Sharon Salzberg, Robert Thurman, I forget who was there, a group of teachers. And he said, do you too have this self-hatred judgment? How many of you? Everyone's nodding. He paused for a minute. He said, mm. but this is a this is a mistake. <laughs> you know, so tender. This is a Why would you do that to yourself? All right, so what do you do is the question. Mm -hmm. Because you can't start loving-kindness with yourself very easily, what you can do is this, even as you listen. Picture the person who, a person, not the, a person, where it's not so complicated, not like your ex, right. who loves you. And generally, there'll be somebody, even it could be your, the Dalai Lama, it could be your dog, you know, Perfect. you come home and they goes, <laughs> they love you when yes. you walk in the door. Picture this being that loves you, you know, 
And you look at them and you wish them well because you love them too. You say, may you be well, you know, I, I, I hope you to be safe and, you know, healthy and all the things of love that you wish for somebody you care about. Maybe you picture a second person. There they are, these people. May you be well, may you be safe, may you be protected, may you, may you be happy. And then when you feel your heart begin to open a little bit, mm. like the camera dilates open the lens, only when it gets a tiny bit sweet, then you imagine that they look back at you and they see you, they see you as a child. There you were, this little Duncan going around being completely innocent and wacky and cool and wonderful as little kids are. Right. And they see you now, grown up, forgetting that original innocence. Yes. And they look at you and they say, Duncan, just as you would wish me to be well and happy and safe, I want that for you. Mm -hmm. And you feel from their eyes and their gaze, you imagine they put their hand on your heart and they say, listen, man, or woman, whoever it is, you're all right. We love you. You know, you're wacky. We all are. We're human. And may you be safe. May you be kind to yourself. May you be well. And gradually you start to take it in and you realize, oh, just as these people who I care about, you know, and offer love to look at me, they want the same for me. Maybe I could even wish that for myself. Mm. And you do it a little bit and you realize, I can't do it. It's impossible. It feels dead. It feels yes. stupid. It feels mechanical. Yes. And then, you know what you do with that? You hold the same, all those thoughts with the same kindness and say, wow, today it's a hard day to love myself. And you love that. Now, the other thing to say is that it's a practice. Mm -hmm. So a man wrote to the IRS and he said, I haven't been able to sleep because I cheated on my taxes in 2010 and 2011. <clears throat> Can't sleep. So I've enclosed an anonymous bank check for $2,000. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. <laughs> you know? And that's really why we talk about practice. Right. Because it doesn't happen all at once. You say, I want to forgive. And you forgive a little bit and you say, yeah, but that SOB, I'll never forgive that yes. person. Or uh, I, I can't, you know, love that in myself. But you love a little bit and you add a little more. And pretty soon you start to feel like, hmm, actually feels kind of good to be kind. And then your heart shrivels. Yeah, but I hate that person. And you realize, well, that doesn't feel that great. You go there, there, it's okay. Not in some superficial way. But in the way that in that moment when somebody has really cared about you, maybe you were little, maybe it was your grandmother or grandfather, maybe it was the gardener or your uncle, somebody saw you. Somebody saw how cool you are underneath all the guises. Yeah. And they just appreciate it and love you. And you remember, oh, yes. And you let it in. Yes. You know, what you're saying, I mean, we are... So we have gone through so much as children in the culture that we came from, and years too. And His Holiness talks about mother is the most important thing that can happen to anybody in terms mm. of being a whole person. And then, so we weren't that. And then we went to India, and I'm Ramdas, Krishnas, myself, whoever, and we met this being who did what was necessary. He loved you just as right. you are. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, that You're lucky. That's a big big piece of grace. Lucky. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But the beautiful thing is that 
you don't have to go to India. Yeah. That actually India has come to you. Mm. And the amazing thing is now we're getting invitations to go back to India to teach in India or to right. teach in, yeah. in Burma and places. They say, oh, you guys have figured this out for the modern world. You've got neuroscience. You've got the trainings in compassion. Come and show us. Yes. Now you sit down. You decide, all right, I'm going to try to learn these ancient beautiful arts of love whether you had your guru in India or what turns out is your guru said your guru is actually here with you, inside mm -hmm. you. And the first thing you encounter is your own mind. My friend Andy Lamott, the humorist, she writes, my mind is like a bad neighborhood, I try not to go there alone, right? <laughs> so you sit and you go, oh my God, it's streams of thoughts and plans and memories and judgments. And you take a few breaths and you take a seat halfway between heaven and earth and you say, that's the mind. It secretes thoughts the way the salivary gland secretes saliva. Mm. It just has a stream of images and thoughts, praise and blame and pleasure, and it likes this and doesn't like that. And you say thank you for your opinion. You kind of bow to it. And, and then you rest in the heart, and then the emotions come. And you feel, when you get quiet, your grief for the earth, for the global warming and the loss of species and the tears and... Then the great environmentalist Gary Snyder said, we said, well, what should we do about this? He said, don't feel guilty. You won't fix it if you get angry and get guilty. It just adds to it. Greed, hatred, that's what made the problem. He said, if you want to serve the world or save it, do it because you love it. Mm. So you sit and you feel your concerns and you realize that you've been put here with the gift of your life and you could do something cool with it. It might be start a, do a startup, or it might be start a family, or a yeah. garden, or business. But you take that, and you plant beautiful seeds with what you've got. Right. And, you know, your soil's a little rocky, dude. So what do you do? You know, you clear it a little bit. <laughs> you put a little, My dude, soil is a rock. Yeah, you put a little fertilizer on that puppy. You plant another seed. And yes. you begin to trust that if there is a good seed there... It will grow. Well, I, you know, I, I love all of this. And, you know, since I, when I came here, I was completely frozen, definitely thawed out. Uh, in, in, you look thawed. You uh, look, thank instead you. of saying you look chilled, you look thawed, right? <laughs> I feel very thawed out. Uh, but I, I think about um, the pragmatic, like, how, I, I think about, like, this, I'm just using this relationship only because it just ended and it's the most relevant thing to me to And you to can't divorce with. your ex, right? So they're there yes. with you, right? Yes. But I think about how as the thing's falling apart and I'm beginning to realize that this relationship is a hope it's not it's it's not meant to be. Uh -huh. I started meditating really hard. You know when you start meditating hard where you're That's like, oh. desperate. You're really desperate. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Exactly. Desperation meditation. So yes. I'm walking up and down the river, chanting, praying, and then <clears throat> I realize that this is just a I'm actually using this um, process as a way to procrastinate action. So it seems like everything that you're saying is incredibly beautiful, but at what point are you, do you need to stop loving the part of yourself that has too many beers at night? And at what point do you need to stop loving the part of yourself that yells at people who haven't really done anything to deserve it? Well, when you talk about that, I'll, I'll answer that in a second, but the first thing that I hear when you're, in a sense, distracting yourself is that you're doing it because the grief is too hard to bear. Mm. It's not just that, you know, you've got to do something else, but actually you're feeling the, 
the loss, I tried to love this person. She was actually pretty cool, but I, you know, I'm such a schlep, I didn't do it right. Or she and I, we got in the wrong, or our wavelength, or, or something happened. Um, and then you feel the tears in your heart, yes. and that's hard to bear sometimes. You think, I can't bear it. You know, and my friend Maladoma Somme, who's a West African shaman and medicine man, he came to America after his initiation, and it's as if his psyche and his third eye, whatever you want to call that magic where you intuit and see, he said, your streets are full of the ungrieved dead. He said, the homeless people who died with anyone, without anyone to care for them, the people in the ICU who had good nurses but no family were there, the people in the old age homes. He said, in our culture, everybody knows someone. We're in a village. And when they're in trouble, the village knows you're in trouble. It's like auntie or uncle. It would be, you know, Auntie Condoleezza and Uncle Colin Powell and right like that, Auntie Hillary. Everybody's your relative. Right. But here we don't know that, so we feel so alone. So then the next step is to let, as you sit, to actually let the tears come. They're mm -hmm. called the tears of the way. Not be afraid to, to let the tears fall because those tears water the heart too. And you go, oh, underneath those tears is this deep longing to love and be loved. And then after the tears blow a little bit and that's not you know oh my gosh self-pity you know it doesn't matter you just let yourself feel it and you grieve because you not only carry your grief you carry the grief of the world in your heart you turn on the news and you could weep yeah. what's happened in Africa or Asia or America or Europe it doesn't matter and after the tears and the heart softens then the mind starts to get a little bit quiet and then you say all right let me listen to my heart, not to my mind that says, she said and I said and I'm good and she's more bad and yeah. whatever. And you say, what's my best intention? In the next text that I send her, I could get even, I could be right, all those things which we like to do, our ego feels like, yes. I, I got to show that I've got some. And instead, you quiet yourself and you say, what's my best intention? Or there you are actually in an argument with somebody you know, and your move is to prove yourself right and say, here, here, you're wrong, I'm right, here's how, I, you know, how it really is, you know. Yes. And then if you take two breaths and just take a pause in yourself for a second and say, what do I most want? What's the best intention? So, well, underneath it all, it's not just to be right or prove. I want to connect. I want to love this person. I want to be loved. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, Maybe that text I was going to send, I need to rephrase it a little bit. Maybe that email I was going to respond to, ah, before I press send, my intention says, oh, it's a little different than that. It's not just to be, you know, this way. I actually want to connect with this person. And if you listen to the heart, it begins to remind you that that's what matters. Yes. And you do it. And you practice it. And Annie, uh, not Annie, and... Um, uh, Julia Childs, the French, oh, yeah. wonderful French chef, big cooking show on television. She says it's very simple. If you're in the kitchen and you drop the lamb, you can just pick it up. Who's going to know, right? <laughs> and in the same way with spiritual practice, you mess up, 
You yeah. will a thousand times. You say, all right, that text wasn't so cool. Let me try another version of it. And you send again and say, you know, when I really listen, what I wanted to say was this. And you practice. And what happens is anything, if you practice piano, if you practice flying an airplane, yes. you practice coding, after a while, you actually can fly or play music. You can actually practice love. I don't want to cry. You're invite you you you're the these teachers. You what you guys do is you invite us to dive into this blender, and it's really scary. And and it's it's we think you know you hear meditation, you hear meditation retreat, you think about a whole different version of what this is. And the thing that you're pointing to is exactly right. But the bullseye is not ple- It's not initially pleasant. The thing you're talking about is, I don't. I mean, I do want to cry. I like it when it happens, but it's a very scary thing. Well, it's scary. It's terrifying. So when you stop running, and here, this is here's a kind of indictment of American culture and modern culture by Ann Wilson Schaaf, who wrote *The Addicted Society*. Mm-hmm. She says, the best adjusted person in our society is the person who's not dead and not alive, just numb, Ugh. a zombie. Yes. When you're dead, you're not able to do any work for the society, so it doesn't want you that way. But if you're fully alive, then you must constantly say no to many of the destructive processes of the society, the racism, the polluted environment, the nuclear threat, the arms race, drinking unsafe water, eating carcinogenic foods. Thus, it is in the interest of modern consumer society to promote the things that take the edge off and keep us busy as worker bees, keep us slightly numbed out and zombie-like. In this way, modern consumer society itself functions as an addict. Wow. And so we're, we're kept distracted from ourselves. And then when you stop, like any addict, or you, it's not just your pain. It's like, oh, my God, how do I stop? I want to come back to myself, but then there's fear and judgment and all these tears for the animals that are dying or the fact that, you know, I got wasted so many times in the last month and I, I, I don't want to live my life that way. Right. So here's the deal. You find your way, and sometimes you can't do it alone. Like Annie Lamott said, you, you know, your mind is a bad neighborhood. You need to find friends to go with you. You find some place. It can be the local yoga studio, the local sitting group, the people who, um, like you, realize it's time to wake up together. Yes. And maybe you begin your meditation practice or your heart practice together with them. Because otherwise you just run screaming out of the room at first. And then you realize, oh, I can tolerate it a little bit. And then it gets worse. <laughs> you sit there. You think it's going to be cool. Right. Okay, now I'm sitting and I'm going to become this wise young person, the next Buddha on the block. Yes. And your loneliness hits. And you think you're going to die of loneliness. Or you get insanely bored. I'm so bored. And the instruction is just to become the witness with this loving awareness to begin to witness and name things. Okay, this is loneliness. Oh, I hate this loneliness. Oh, this is hating. This is boredom. This is restlessness. Because if you don't find a way to sit with your loneliness, to let it cut more deeply, to let it season you, as the poet says, then the minute you get a little bit lonely or bored, what do you do? You open the refrigerator. Uh, you go online. You do anything. Yes. You do the addictive thing, which we all do. Our society says, distract yourself. Yes. But if, but, so you can't bear to be with yourself. And you can't actually... So you're doing this amazing and beautiful and great thing. You become the 
you know the yogi that you saw in those images in in uh, of in the saints in India you become the zen student in Kyoto but you do it in your own home or with your with your friends and you realize i can bear this i can tolerate this and i name it lonely lonely oh gosh restless restless i wish this would go away wishing wishing i feel like i'm going to die dying dying I wonder what I'm going to do for dinner. Should we get pizza or should we go out? Because the mind has no pride. It'll do that. Yes. Okay, yes. dying, dying again, planning, planning, <laughs> desire. And you start to see that you become the space of witnessing which can allow this with a gracious heart. And you realize you can trust your awareness. You can trust the capacity to be present for yourself. And then you can be there for the things that you love and care about. It's beautiful, but it's, you know, it's a lot of work. What you're talking about is, reminds me of <clears throat> not even realizing that you, you know, have you ever seen that show Hoarders? Oh, yeah. So it reminds me of suddenly realizing that you are a hoarder and that your mind is equivalent to one of these houses. I love it. Packed with yes. just pizza. Old newspapers yes. and, it, and you realize like kitty litter. and Yes. And to clean the up. crap from your third grade class, right? Exactly. And so it, that, that so it's not like I, that's something I got out of this retreat. I feel great, but I've realized like, oh God, so much work. It seems like so much work, which is something I'm not uh, really that what, fond of. Hey, wait, what work? The work is to to um, exactly what he's saying, which is that instead of avoiding. First of all, it's a real mind blower when you say, you know, and it's obvious to you, but when you say from chanting and from meditating, you are actually just avoiding grief. That is a real mind melter. It's sure. real because that under little spiritual bypass, trying to use your spiritual practice to not actually feel the yeah. the direct immediate experience. And that's the work I'm talking about, Ragu. That's the 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 oh, the, the the having to um go back into that place and then soften up. And also, what about the fact that when you go into this numbness, this cultural numbness, and you've been numb for years, what about the fact that you might not be surrounded by Jack Cornfields and Raghu Marcuses and Ram Dasses? You know, you might be around other numb people and have nowhere to, to go and, and, and no, no access to these communities. That makes it harder but actually, you're not alone. There are millions of you waking up. There are millions of beings who are not asleep, whose hearts are open. And I see them everywhere. I see them when I go in the hospital. There's this woman cleaning bedpans and, you know, tending to somebody who's sick, who's just beaming. And, you know, maybe she grew up, and talked about parents, you know, in some culture where they still held their children and she carries that radiance from Jamaica or the Philippines or someplace where that family was still intact or maybe she grew up here. But I see, um, I see human goodness in lots of places. Now it's true, you can be surrounded by that and you think that's the way the world is, but it isn't, actually. There are a thousand, thousand acts of goodness that are also happening from the littlest gesture of people planting their flower gardens to mm -hmm. stopping at the red light so you can go green. I mean, if you begin to look at how people are caring for each other, you can also tune to that. And yes, there's an unconsciousness about it. The thing about the work is it's not like, okay, now I'm going to make myself a big project and I'm going to get a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree and a 
damn PhD in spirituality, and I'll be the great master, and I'll go to great international conferences and be lauded. There's nothing more sorrowful than international spiritual conferences. You don't need to go to those, right? That's suffering. Instead, the work is to be where you are. It makes it so much simpler. And Raghu was sort of pointing to that when you said, well, what's the work? The work isn't to become somebody else or go somewhere. It's to say, all right, here I am. I'm in the slums of the country, you know, or I'm in the slums of my own heart. Mm. Um, and there's graffiti and there's, you know, it's, it's tough. And um, what seeds am I going to plant in these slums? Am I going to sweep the doorstep and plant a little garden? And I have seen, even in the slums, people with so much dignity... It's just the way Nelson Mandela, who died yesterday, um, walked out of 27 years of Robben Island prison with so much graciousness and mm. forgiveness and dignity. They can put your body in prison. You can be surrounded by difficult people. No one can take your dignity. No one can take your fundamental nobility. And no one, um, no one can take... The, your spirit, the spirit of your heart, that is yours to choose in any circumstance. And when you realize that, that that's tremendously empowering and beautiful. Intention. I wanted to talk to Jack about intention. Mm. And you have brought it up because in, in talking about, boy, it's a lot of work to hustle myself into an open-hearted place or whatever. I gotta, yes. Whatever you got to do. There's a basic, and, and this is what I'd love for you to talk about, there's a basic intention it's the intention you emailed ramdas.org and said, I'd like to, uh, to help you out because right. Ramdas has done something for me. And it was your, that's all about intention. And then that's part of, we talked about in this retreat, it's part of grace. I think that can, there's a big connection with that natural intention or desire to be good to oneself, love oneself, and start to love one another. I mean, talk to me about intention. Well... Um, the simplest thing about intention, which we actually started to talk about a little bit before, is uh, to take a pause. I like to call it the mindful pause, the sacred pause. It can be a few breaths when you're in an argument, or it can be in the morning or evening where you just sit quietly for, for a minute, or two, or three. And when the mind starts to quiet... And you say, all right, here I am, next day of my life, next year of my life. Um, and then you have a little conversation with your heart. Most cultures know you can actually listen to your heart. We're not taught that in school. You're taught to do everything outside, read, write, do math. But nobody teaches emotional and social intelligence, listening to the heart, listening to another. So you quiet yourself and you talk to your heart and you say, what's my best intention for the day what's my deepest intention and when I go off to this circumstance it's hard at work or when I go off to you know try to manage this part of my life what's my best intention and when you get in touch with that best intention it can be very very simple I actually want to be kind I want people to find a way to be um, caring for one another I want something good to happen on the earth and so I want to be contributing to that rather than destruction. Um, when you listen, the heart speaks a good intention. And then through the day, almost like checking the compass, you know, you check your smartphone, but this is like the smart heart phone, right? 
you turn, you know, and you say, okay, what, what was that intention again? Mm. Oh, yeah. Takes a breath. And then you feel that. Now there's long-term intention. The Dalai Lama wakes up in the morning and he says, the Shanti Deva prayer, may I be a bridge, a raft, a boat for those to cross the flood. May I be medicine for the sick. May I be food for the hungry. Mm. May I be a resting place for the weary. May, may I be a lamp for those lost in the darkness. May I offer my life for the benefit of all beings. It's his Bodhisattva vow. Um, and of course that sounds like, oh, how I could ever do that. But you can do it in the simplest way. All this is in- incredibly simple. My intention today is to stay in my own body, right? To actually stay here and open to this mysterious life, not be somewhere else. Because there's that line from James Joyce where he wrote of a character, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body, right? <laughs> and we do in the addicted society. We're like gone, yes. though, right? But if you don't live here, you don't taste the slice of tangerine. Mm-hmm. You don't see the eyes of that child. You don't see the lavender light reflected in the rain puddles just as the sun is setting, you know, or the, the little buds on the trees poking out even out of the snow saying that someday spring is going to come and it always will. It's like the poet Pablo Neruda says, you can pick all the flowers, but you can't stop the spring. <laughs> there is a life force that pushes grass up through the sidewalks, through the cracks in it, and it will not stop, and it's in you. And you get a little quiet, and you feel that life force, and you say, what's the sweetest, most important, deepest, most honorable intention? What has dignity in it? And you hear that voice, and then you return to it. And you could call it the voice of wisdom, the voice of compassion, the voice of, it has all kinds of names, of Jesus and Mary and Maharaji and, you know, all the saints. Everybody in the world, when they listen deeply, can ask this question, what is my best intention? And it changes everything. Um, so the, the, the question is, um, it's coming from the, the idea of like full numb, 100% pure American numb, oh. deep, deep ice. Yes. So you don't feel an intention. You don't feel anything. You feel That's like right. when the dentist freezes your mouth. So is it the question is, is it okay to make up an intention that you think would be a, a good intention? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what do they say in 12-step fake it till you make it? They're, they're, the, the thing is that it's all made up. And, and the Buddha begins the Dhammapada. All is created out of the mind. The mind and the heart. It's the same word in Sanskrit. Um, how you live your life, the circumstances change, praise and blame and gain and loss, but really it comes from how do you navigate this. And so, of course, it's fine to make it up and practice and and fake it and pretend. And then after a little while, you say, hmm, pretending to be kind to people actually, you know, gets me a little bit further than being, a, you know, an ass. Yes. You know, and you start to realize, hmm, there's a little bit of a choice here. Or you're completely frozen and numb. And before you even fake it, you ask yourself, well, what would bring a little bit of thaw, you know? And you say, well, I want to... And, and it's not just an addictive thing. I want to eat something that's actually nourishing, that feels good. And you do that. It's like you can take care of yourself. I want to have a nice, a decent meal. I want to take a little bit of a walk just to kind of mm-hmm. calm myself down. Maybe I'll read just a little bit this passage from... 
Be Here Now or from I'll listen to a podcast from Duncan. I'll do something that kind of reminds me, oh, yeah, there's a whole other way to be. Then I'm going to sit quietly, and now it's like you can feel the, you know, the ice beginning to soften a little bit, and you notice that inside there, frozen way deep down there is your heart. Uh-huh. You know, and you kind of look at it and say, hey, baby, how is it? And it's just, oh, God, it's so cold. I've been so busy and so frozen. Say, that's okay, that's okay. You're just being kind and okay, and the heart starts to beat a little bit inside the, inside the ice. Yes. You know? Um, and that's when your dad says, so you're going to Hawaii to meet your gay guru. That's it. And, and you say to your dad, that's beautiful. And what do you say to your dad? What did you say to your dad? I thought about it because I was going to get mad, and then I'm like, uh, He's right. You're right. Yeah, I'm going to Hawaii. Not only that, it's great. The guru's gay. You know, is there something wrong with that? And your point is, yeah. you know, he's jealous. That's yeah. no problem. He, you say, Dad, come on, it's really good snorkeling. And you don't even have to be gay to do it. You right. know, leave the gay part to him. And you could if you want, but come on. Mai Tais, nice, nice snorkeling. Okay, baby, I'm so glad. Aren't you glad your son gets to do this? Uh, it's beautiful. What you're saying is so beautiful. And and I and it's and I think a, a misconception that people have is that this is a passive, um, uh, weak sort of work. When it's the opposite, it's this. It takes this incredible courage to start thawing out your heart. You know, any I'm sure when people have frozen their hands mountain climbing, I bet when their hands start thawing out, it hurts like hell. Mm. It's not a great feeling, and and so a lot of us are pain adverse you yeah, know yeah so that's a it's a very courageous thing to do this and uh you're faced i think the the thing that you were faced with is not just that challenge but also the challenge of having all these relationships with other people that involve a communication of biting each other you know or of clawing at each other and uh-huh. suddenly you want to stop clawing and and the other person's like wait a minute we've been clawing each other for years i i it doesn't feel right to stop this war. Yeah. Um, in the Tao, it says the philosopher is wedded to his opponent. I mean, if you don't have somebody to argue with, what kind of relation? And it was true in my family. I had a really painful family situation. What's new? Lots of people do. My father was kind of a brilliant biophysicist and taught in medical school and did space medicine and army biological warfare, all kind of weird stuff. But he was violent and paranoid and a wife batterer and all mm. this stuff, you know. And um, I didn't want to be like him. So I was going to be chilled and never get angry. And then I realized when I started to meditate that because I wasn't going to be like him, I had suppressed everything. It was all done. And I realized I, there are a lot of things that pissed me off, you know. And, but I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to handle it. And then I began to realize, oh... Okay, these are the forces of humanity. Fear and anger are part of being human, just as love and joy are part of being human. And my teacher said, you take your seat, and when fear comes, you name it. Fear, fear, and then you say, oh, but this is so terrible. I feel like, you know, I'm going to panic. And then you name that, oh, panicking, panicking. Mm -hmm. And you discover that you can stay where you are, little by little with some practice, and realize that, those are just waves of feelings, um, and who you are is so much bigger than that. Who you are is, this, is the loving, the space of awareness that says, wow, what an incarnation. I've, I'm thawed, I'm frozen, I'm afraid, I'm not. All those things come and go, and you become the space. 
Now the practice, like on my on my website and and various books, there are these trainings of forgiveness meditation or trainings in loving kindness or training compassion. Um, my teacher said, all right, do this forgiveness practice. Forgive yourself, which is a big piece, or forgive other people little by little. And he said, here's a training. It's a five or ten minute practice of forgiveness. Do it twice a day for the next six months and then come and let me know how it's going. What that meant was do it 300 times. I would do it sometimes. I would hate that person. I'm not going to forgive that person. Never, never, never they did this, you know. And then I remember the story of the two ex-prisoners of war, and one says to the other, have you forgiven your captors yet? And the second was, after what they did to us, and so I've never. And the first man looks at him and says, well then, they still have you in prison, don't they? Wow. Because those people that it's hard to forgive, they could actually be on Hawaii having a nice vacation, right? Yeah. And there you are in Cleveland freezing, you know, and you're hating or hating him. You know, who's suffering? You are. Right. And then you begin to realize, okay, I don't want to close my heart. I don't want to shut myself down. I don't want to carry the hatred. Not for them. You're not forgiving them. But because that's not who you want to be. That's not who you are. Mm. Now, it's political, too. You talk about it being hard. Everybody who's listening, who's even half awake, realizes that the modern world is in trouble and that no amount of science and technology, of nanotechnology and biotechnology and computers and Internet and smartphones and all of that stuff is going to stop continuing warfare. It's not going to stop continuing racism or environmental destruction or destruction of species. The outer developments of the world need to be matched by inner human development. Mm. We are a nation of nuclear giants, said one of our generals, and ethical infants. Wow. And there's some way in which we, as a species now have to develop the inner technologies, which is really what we're talking about. All the modern neuroscience shows greater neuroplasticity, greater emotional resiliency, ability to focus attention, um, integrative fibers in the brain, um, faster healing, um, extended telomeres that keep you from aging. All those things Mm. come from the simple practices of training of mindfulness and awareness and compassion. We know it now. We can put it in our schools. We can put it in our education. We can put it in our healing systems as we do but underneath it what's called for right now is a change of consciousness and either you go along and be asleep as a sheep you know or you go you practice you know say okay we're going to practice hating other people and greed and so forth it doesn't really make you happy or you say no the world needs something different and you become part of that awakening that you are joining in with a thousand other beings on your block, you don't even know it, and the block next door, they're all kind of in secret, they're hiding in the closet or whatever, but they're there, and when you show yourself a little bit, you start to see that they're all around you. Wow. We should, uh, first of all, jackcornfield.org. Sure, and there's a whole, Let's if you go online, K-O-R-N-F-I-E-L-D. Jack. All the links will be at DuncanTrussell.com. And MindRollingBypass.com. But the point is there are wonderful Many practices. Practices yes. and what we're talking about. There's one thing, um, you know, we're getting close to the end, but I do want to talk about, I want to hear from you about 
and that when we talk about somebody awakening, you know, we're talking a lot here. Uh, we're referring to your basic, who you are, your audience, your confreres, and so on. Yes. And when I first heard, I mean, Ramdas, we're at a Ramdas retreat with Jack. When I first heard him, one of the most inviting things was honesty. He was honest with himself. Mm. Yes. And it led us to be able to say, shit, we can be honest with ourselves too. We don't have to hide. We don't have to hide the shadow. Right. We can have, the, and that was a major process <clears throat> alongside awakening or with our awakening. So, can you talk? To me? And you know, and I said, yeah, that quote yeah, upon yeah. Today, Truth is the most difficult tapasya, mm. difficult path. So maybe talk about that. Yeah, there's a part of us, part of us doesn't know ourselves so well, and all you have to do is get quiet a little bit, and other parts show themselves, because we've been numbed out, or, and then part of us doesn't want to see what we discover. Self-knowledge seems like it's bad news, but it's actually just seeing the personality. When I sat first as a young man, and I was in my early 20s, in this wild monastery in the border of Laos and Thailand in the, in the jungles because um, I'd heard about Zen masters and I thought I'm going to go seek out the real deal let me see if it's actually there and it was which was really fantastic it took a while to get there and find it but went through the Peace Corps and did all these things but I found this great teacher and I thought oh now I'll be happy and I start to meditate now things are going to be good and things got worse things got worse because I had to sit with my loneliness or my fears or my boredom or the things that I didn't like about myself. I'd look in the mirror and go, oh, you know. And then my teacher would smile at me and sometimes he would even, it's like you, like, like your guru would sort of read mine and say, oh, unworthiness today, huh? And he would just do it with so much love where he'd say, oh, a lot of self-judgment isn't there. And it, was, it wasn't like you shouldn't have self-judgment or unworthiness. Or I got really sick with malaria, and he said, sick, huh? I had this great fever, and they gave me some medicine. He said, yeah, we've all had it. He said, so sick it makes you want to run home and cry and be with your mama, right? You know? <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, yeah, that's, this is called sickness. We've all had it, those of us who live in the Jew. We all had malaria. He said, you can bear it. You can bear it. There's much better medicine now. We've given you some. You'll get over it in a few days. And the moment that he said, you know, you can do this. We've all been there. We've all felt this. We've all felt our fear and our loneliness and our disappointment. It's part of the human heart. And he would say, oh, disappointed today, aren't you? I go, oh, he knows. And there was so much love in it because it was truth. It was acceptance. And then I could see it in others and not judge them so much. Mm. So, so simple. May I, may I ask just one more quick question? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, this is, what is something people listening right now can do in this moment or when they stop listening to this podcast to, to move them in the direction uh, of, of learning to love themselves and thawing out the uh, giant black chunk of polluted ice surrounding their heart? <laughs> I love your description. Yeah. I mean, well, I think that's. I think that's. Shy, I think. Right? I think that's artistic, and and in part it's true. In part it's true. You've got that giant black. 
frozen ice and it's got like you know old tires and yes. you know yeah. it's trash got trash and yes. and and it's it, got <laughs> exactly nuclear stuff and it's got yeah. all the exhaust from buses in there yes, and, exactly. and, and and not only that it has you know it has stuff from your third grade and your fifth grade all buried and twisted every in nasty there. text you ever sent is frozen in that ice yeah it is it is and 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 then it's you know when it starts to thaw out then you feel the regret from those and you feel that and so forth so if if you see your task as one of trying to fix yourself okay i'm going to do spiritual practice and it's like a grim duty mm. okay i'll go to therapy and i'll do my pilates and my qigong and you know i'll go to yoga and you know i'll buff myself up and i'll I'll take some courses and stuff like that. It's like endless, you know. It's like you're going to go and shovel all that. But the task isn't to perfect yourself, as we said before. It's really to perfect your love. And what you can do today is to begin and take a seat for a little bit, and you can do one of two things. Either you can just sit, put your hand on your heart, feel your breath, and feel actually how you care for yourself. You may say, I don't. But if you step out off the curb and a car comes careening around the corner just where you are, your body jumps back because you want to live. It, you protect yourself. And feel that, that you actually do want to protect yourself. Put your hands and say, yeah, there's black ice and there's fear and there's confusion, like every single human being. And you just hold yourself with that respect it's almost like you're bowing and saying yeah here we are we're in this human incarnation this is what you're given you get a body a mind you get your culture is all embedded in there and you can either fight it and be angry and conflict all the time or you can discover that there's a greater power which is what nelson mandela and Aung san suu Kyi walks out of prison 17 years she said they never had me in prison because i never hated them and you realize that you, in this moment, could switch the channel just a little bit and say, all right, here I am, I've got my suffering, I have my tears, I have my addictions, I have all this. And the first step is to be honest, to say, I have all this, and it's not who I really am. It's not all of who I am. It's just a part of me. And it's a part of everybody human. You take a breath, you put your hand in your heart, and you say to yourself, what if I were just to become a little bit kinder today to myself. Mm. What if I were to be a little bit sweeter? Let me try that out. What if I were to be a little bit more compassionate? And all of a sudden you start to realize, it's like the army lieutenant, I told this story in there, who got angry a lot and then he started to train in mindfulness and he was in line in the supermarket and this woman was holding a baby and talking at the checkout counter and he got angrier and angrier. You know, like, isn't there, there's a long line, doesn't she see? And he got up there and started to talk to her. And she said, did you see that little boy? He's my boy. And he said, oh. She said, yeah, my husband was in the army like you, but he was killed in Afghanistan last year. And so now I have to work all the time. And my mom takes care of my boy. And she just tries to bring him in once a day mm. so I can see him. And all of a sudden, all his judgment melted away. And his, we're so judgmental of one another. And his judgment of himself and he began to realize, oh, we're in it together. This is us. 
This is family. You know how family is. It's a mess. But also it's beautiful. It produced you. It produces, it's going to produce more life. And you say, all right, baby, I'm going to be in this and I'm going to do this from the place of graciousness and wisdom rather than the place of poor me or anger or things like that. They're there. They're there. Yes, I see all that, self-judgment. But that is not your great heart. Who you are is so much bigger than that. So much love and dignity is born in you. It was there when you were a little kid looking out this amazing beauty behind those eyes. Even if people didn't see it, you know it and I see it. And even you see it. <laughs> you know what? The, the sim, there's a simple, beautiful message that could be in India formed with your palms to do this to yourself and uh, then to everybody is Namaste. 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 I honor the divine in you. I see who you really are behind those eyes, behind the trauma. You have your trauma. But you don't want to be loyal to your suffering. It's okay, you're kind of loyal to it. That's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. You have your sufferings just where you started, Raghu. And that suffering that, you, that everybody lives through brings the heart of compassion. If you allow it, you realize, oh, we're all in this together. Yeah. We're all in it together. And then when somebody's really having a hard time, you hold their hand and say, yeah, I know that. I've been afraid. I've been depressed. I know what that's like. I really know that. You know, Duncan? So you're saying my ex-girlfriend was wrong for breaking up with me? Always. <laughs> a magnificent man like you, on the other hand, on the other hand, do you know how it is? Oh, no, she was right. Uh, well, thank you, Jack. This has been so terrific. Thank it's a you pleasure. so much. Thank you both. Thank you, thank you Raghu. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Duncan. Thank you, folks. I and, appreciate uh, it. And look for a look at uh, Duncan Trussell Family Hour, and you will find all the links to Jack, and look at mindrollingpodcast.com, and look at ramdas.org. Yes. Or look for this, I've got a lot of books, but there in particular is a book, a very simple one called The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace, that has ten different practices of compassion and self-compassion and forgiveness in it. So. I'm checking that out. Thank you, guys. Thank you very Good. much. Pleasure. <laughs>